0: Hello and welcome to Afternoonified, the podcast that manages to melt and enrich your brain at the same time. I'm Ryan. And I'm Emily. We're going to talk about... Ah, oh, f- where did they go? The topic up for discussion this week is a big one. We're going to have to take a couple pieces and see what we can do with it, and we're not going to attack the whole subject. No one has that kind of time. No. No human being on Earth has that kind of time. <sighs> I'm, of course, talking about Strange and Mysterious Disappearances, which you would know if you read the title, which I kind of hope you did. Yeah, because if you're just like, listening to podcasts willy-nilly, I question your life I mean, choices. I guess sometimes they start automatically. <laughs> like, I'll find myself listening to an episode of Star Talk, like, no f***ing idea what's going on. We did our best to pick the ones that don't have obvious outcomes, um... Murder. Murder. Yeah, murder is the obvious outcome. Um, Most of these people are or were considered endangered missing, which is a term that generally means that the person is missing and considered to be in some sort of peril or danger, but isn't presumed to be dead. It's actually the default classification for anyone over the age of 65. Huh. Old people are, whether they're missing and safe or not, Mm -hmm. are considered to be endangered based on age. Huh. Interesting. So with that... We should get started. We we picked a couple people to talk about. Ryan is going to do a couple. I'm going to do a couple. We'll see how it goes. Um, there are no dead bodies or objection. Actually, no, there might be a little objectionable material in here, but it's minor compared to our usual. It's minor compared to last week and Rasputin's. D- yeah. So, Ryan, who do we have first? So today we're going to start with Tara Calico, and her case got a lot of attention, so some of you out there might actually remember her. She's been featured on, I guess not herself, because she's still missing, but uh, her case has been featured on um, The Oprah Winfrey Show, a lot of, like, uh, like 60 Minutes, they've done a lot of... Well, if Harpo's covered it then. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been all over TV, so some of you might actually remember this case. Uh, if you're real old it would be that old. I mean, she disappeared in 1988. So between 1988 and the early 90s, there was a lot of attention on our case. Okay. So. I mean, not crazy old. She was 19 at the time when she disappeared. And what's weird is that she disappeared about 150 yards from the golf course near her home in Bella, New Mexico. And it was on a road that she rode all the time. She biked down it with her mom. What I found a little interesting is that her and her mom used to bike down this highway together. But one day, her mom decided she didn't want to bike on the highway anymore because she thought she was being stalked by a motorist. Um, So the mom decided not to ride with the daughter anymore and said, it's unsafe. I'm not going to ride. Go alone. The daughter went alone and ended up getting what they think is kidnapped on that same road very shortly afterwards. Um, Stupid. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to say that, you know, the mom was... Okay. Yeah. (sighs) Stupid is a little harsh, but also if you think you're being stalked, like maybe don't send your teenage daughter out there. By yourself. Yeah. At that point, it makes more sense to, you know, bring more people in your bicycle. Or just, yeah, or not. Give her a ride. Uh, You know? Yeah. Um, Still, they did find traces along that stretch of road where they think that she disappeared from of her cassettes and her Walkman, and they think that she might have dropped them in order to mark her trail, just based on, like, their placement. Like a smart person. Yeah, exactly. Breadcrumbs, but, you know, like 80s technology breadcrumbs. (laughs) Yeah, a Rush cassette. I <laughs> don't know if it was a Rush cassette. That was just the first, like, 80s era band that came to my yeah, mind. you know, a few floppy disks. You what know. <laughs> you would expect. Some scrunchies. A Furby. Furbies are the early to mid-90s. Actually, no, they were close to the late 90s. I, really? had, I had Furbies up the I almost said Furbies up the ass. Don't put them there. <laughs> <laughs> I was there thinking Furbies are from the 80s. No. Um, Teddy Ruxpin. That? Teddy Ruxpin? Yeah. Oh, you are so young. I am. I'm not from the 80s. Neither am I, just so we all know. But you're closer to it than I am. I'm born in 90? 90. 91. 91. Hey, you guys know how old I am. I was born in 93. I'm a child. Good to know you're all learning lessons from a child. <laughs> anyway, Tara Calico at first was thought to be a kidnapping case because of the way that they found the Walkmans and the cassettes. However, eight months later, this is where it gets really weird. A Polaroid photo was found in a convenience store parking lot in Port Port St. Joe, Florida, all the way across the United States. So she was taken from New Mexico. Eight months later, they found a Polaroid in a parking lot in Florida. Although there is a lot of speculation if the Polaroid is even of Tara. I've seen it, and it's super questionable. However, what I thought was weird, I thought the same thing. I was like, "It, it yeah, they do resemble each other, but they're both the, white women." Yeah, you know? with like curly, big hair. Which again, it was the eighties. Well, and the girl in the Polaroid had her hair in a ponytail. Yeah, I mean, face structure was really similar, but I mean, she also had tape over her mouth, so you're missing that whole chunk of that's her face. True. But the thing that's interesting is that in the photo, there is a scar on the woman's leg in the exact same spot that Tara Calico had a scar from a car accident before she was kidnapped. So, that's why they're so convinced. Okay. So, taking into account eight months worth of, like, aging and, you know, yeah. potentially did, being... Did and, we talk about how there was another person in, in there, the Polaroid? Yeah, there is another person. So, basically, the Polaroid is of a woman who has tape over her mouth and her arms are behind her back, so it's assumed that she's bound. Well, she looks a little chill, like... Right? Yeah, she. although she doesn't look like she's that afraid. She's just kind of, like, hanging uh, out bound and gagged, you know? and In, like, pajamas, basically, like, shorts and a t-shirt. And then behind her is a boy, they guess, around the ages of like 8 to 10. Uh, and he also has tape over his mouth and his hands behind his back. So it's assumed assume that he's also bound and gagged. However, we can't really speculate that they were just chill with the situation. Because if they've been bound and gagged for eight months or something, after a while, you know. You'd start to just get used to it. <laughs> you start to just realize it's not changing. I assume. I can't speak to it because I've never been kidnapped myself. But I would assume after a while, you know, you kind of, I don't want to say settle in, but you kind of have to in order to survive. Anyway, uh, there's a lot of speculation about that photograph. However, what I thought was really weird was that what they thought were the parents of the boy in the photograph stepped forward and said, we think this is our son, Michael Henley. And Michael also disappeared from New Mexico in the exact same year that Tara Calico disappeared. So they both disappeared in New Mexico in 1988. So it seemed really likely that it was, if it was Michael Henley, then that was also Tara Calico. Make there makes sense. Was coincidence. However... Um, A little bit later... Okay, a lot later. Seven years later. That is a lot. That is a lot. Michael Henley's body was found within a couple of miles of the campsite that he had uh, supposedly wandered off from. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they think that during the camping trip, he wandered off and died of exposure. They found his body. So he... It was very unlikely that he ever made it all the way over to Florida to take that Polaroid, and then back to the forest where, where they found him, where he disappeared from. Yeah, would be weird to drop him off in the same spot you picked him up from. Well, yeah, no, it's it's probably not him in the picture then. Yeah, yeah. So it's not. It's probably not him. But then that means that you know, there's very little evidence that that is Tara. However, the scar on the leg, the resemblance. A lot of people do really still believe that that is Tara in the photograph. But then that role also is the question, now, who is that little boy? I always found it weird where they found the – like, Florida. But didn't mm-hmm. they find it in a parking lot, like, where a van had been parked? Mm-hmm. Who just drops their Polaroids of almost, their kidnapped victims? It, it almost seemed intentional. Yeah. yeah. Um, there was, like, a big big van, big white non Like a kidnapper van. van. Like a big white kidnapper van in a convenience store parking lot. And – A woman said that she saw someone get into the van and she thinks he's the same guy that dropped the Polaroid. So the kidnapper has potentially been seen. The woman picked up the Polaroid, took it to the police, um, and they've been keeping track of that ever since. 20 years later, after that Polaroid was found, two letters were sent to the police chief in Port St. Joe. And they both contained photos of a boy who looked a lot like that same boy in the photograph. Uh But there was no tape on the boy's mouth. However, whoever sent in the photos use a black Sharpie to draw a black rectangle over his mouth the same way you would tape them. I have not seen those photos. So I haven't seen the actual photos. I don't know if they released those photos online, but there is reports of like that's what they got. I don't know if they've actually shown the actual photos. Uh-huh. But they drew basically a tape line over his mouth in black Sharpie. So he wasn't actually bound in the photo. That's fucked up. Yeah, and this is 20 years later. So those pictures, he was holding onto them for a long time because that kid would have aged that kid would be, like, almost in his 30s now. So that was kind of weird. And it also was the same... I think it was the same week or within, like, two weeks of someone calling in 20 years after this saying that they were a psychic and they knew where Tara Calico was buried. Because that's reliable. It's not. But they said that she was buried in California and then that lead didn't ever go anywhere because they never found her body where the psychic told them. But it's just weird that the person sent in those letters at the same time. Yeah. So it's thought that maybe... The kidnapper is the one who called and maybe either just gave bad directions to the body or did it to throw them off where she actually was, but just wanted to kind of tease it and get the story public again, because that's kind of what he's getting off on. Yeah, yeah. Are we going to have to bleep getting off on? Maybe, I don't know. Is that bleepable? I don't know that's, it's not on the list of seven words that you can't say on TV. So technically we can say it. Okay. Well, that's settled. Another thing that is kind of interesting that happened is that 20 years after her disappearance, the sheriff of Valencia, who is... So around the same time that the psychic called in and the mm -hmm. photographs, okay. Yeah, so now that the case is starting to get attention again, 20 years without very much attention, it's getting, you know, brought back up. The sheriff from the town really close, it's not uh, the town that she was from, but it's a town very close to that, he says that he actually knows what happened. He said that two boys... (laughs) in a truck hit her like two young guys hit her in a truck and then moved the body to hide it because it was a hit and run however there was no blood at the scene there was no signs of you know a violent car accident why did this guy wait 20 years that's to say the anything that's the part that gets me it happened it coincided with the case getting attention again so it almost feels like he did it as He's an attention. Pulling it thing. Out of his- yeah, and he says, I don't have enough evidence to put them away. I would need to find a body. But, I mean, even if you did find the body, that wouldn't necessarily. Why would you ever hold on to that for song? Especially when this case was getting a lot of attention in the beginning. Mm-hmm. It got a lot of attention for a really long time. And then after a while, lost steam because they were running out of leads. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then all of this popped up at the exact same time. So it's sort of a weird situation that happened there. I almost think maybe it was the sheriff that sent in the letters and did huh. the recording. Maybe the sheriff is just trying to use the Tara Calico case to get attention. I mean, it wouldn't be unheard of. However, I don't know the sheriff, and I could totally just be like, you know. Spitballing here? Yeah, yeah. I'm just spitballing. I, this is no truth. This is, you know, I've got a movie movie mind going right now, and I'm trying to think <laughs> what would happen in the best episodes of CSI or something. Well, if all goes to plan, Tara's ghost will come back and solve her own murder. Oh, yeah. A la Lindsay Lohan. Mm-hmm. Or that other movie about the kid that was in a coma, and he had to, like, find out who put him in the coma. Anyway, that's Tara Calico for you. If you have any information about Tara Calica's <laughs> whereabouts, you should probably call the police. I actually, yeah, I thought about putting contact information in case anybody... All of these people either have their own websites or they have... Um, Charlie Project Charlie pages. Charlie Project pages. Charlie Project is a really good source if you're looking for information on missing people, Mm -hmm. missing persons, I think is the correct term. Mm -hmm. So that's Tara. Um, Her case is obviously still unsolved, or we wouldn't be talking about her. Mm -hmm. So we're going to move on to another lady, uh, Leah Toby Roberts, who was 23 years old when she went missing on March 18th, 2000, in Whatcom County, Washington, which is not too far from where we are right now. Oh, I mean, it's it's in Washington, but yeah, she was originally from North Carolina. She dropped out of college in Durham, North Carolina, six months before graduation. She was dealing with a lot of stuff: the loss of her parents within the last five years, as well as a near fatal car crash in that same time period. Uh, yeah, I know, a lot of going on in her life. Yeah, sounds like it. So she dropped out of school, and she was living off her inheritance, and she spent a lot of time at a coffee shop called Cup of Joe. Sounds like something kind of like a movie or a book. I know, because she spent her time there writing poetry, learning to play guitar, and reading uh, specifically the works of Jack Kerouac. Is she a fiction character? I, well... <sighs> Uh, She had spoken about taking a trip to find herself, like was described in her favorite Kerouac book, Dharma Bums, which I have not read, uh, but it seems to be a sequel to On the Road, which I also have not read. But long Wikipedia article short, the main characters in the books go on road trips and find themselves. Um, And Dharma Bums takes place in Whatcom County. Huh, spoiler alert. Interesting. So we know exactly why she was going there, pretty much. She Mm -hmm. had spoken to people at the coffee shop about... Taking a trip like in Carowax books, Mm. the moral of the story is, books are books. This is kind of like when uh, the chicken wild when she just decided to deal with her grief to go on some long trip. In the Pacific Northwest, Uh, yeah, people don't come to the Pacific Northwest (laughs) to take trips to deal with your grief because they don't end well, and also you're driving up housing prices. Yeah, get out. (laughs) So on March 9th, without any warning to her sister or her roommate, Leah packed up and headed out on this road trip with her kitten B. It oh. <laughs> does not end well for B. Oh, uh, she left a note. Uh, Leah, not B, left a note that specifically said she was not suicidal. She was the opposite, and that she needed to take this trip. No one heard from her after that. She withdrew a lot of money from an ATM and then made fuel and food purchases kind of across the country. The last one being in Brooks, Oregon, in the wee hours of the morning on the 18th of March. Her Jeep was found on March 18th, crashed off an embankment on a logging road off the Mount Baker Highway about 98 miles from Seattle. Hmm. At least she got where she was going. The car was obviously wrecked, but there was no sign that anyone had been in it when it went over the embankment. Like, the seat belts weren't stretched. Um, and that There are ways to tell, I guess, if someone's mm-hmm. in a car when it crashes. However, there were blankets hung over the smashed windows like someone had used it as a shelter. Clothes, cat food, Leah's guitar, Leah's mother's wedding ring, which she always wore, were scattered around. Um, there was even $2,500 worth of cash tucked away in one of the pants pockets. So robbery does not seem like it was... Like, like, like a thing here. Yeah. Uh, there was no sign of Bee. Aww. I know, I said it didn't end well. But if it's out in the forest, maybe Bee escaped and became a wildcat. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I mean, she probably ate my cougar. Shh, but. Shh, shh. Bee lived. <laughs> Potentially. Bee lived. Um, a movie ticket stub for a showing of American Beauty at a theater in Bellingham, Washington was also present at the scene. Uh, It was from the afternoon of the 18th, meaning that she'd spent a few hours in the city before heading north and crashing her car. Hmm. So at least she got a good film in. That's good. A report came in later from a convenience store clerk in Everett, Washington, who said he'd seen a girl matching Leah's description after the 18th. He said that she looked disoriented and kind of out of it. And they were... um, Everett is... How close to Seattle? It's closer to Seattle than Bellingham. Or where she was found. So she kept moving north. Yeah, I think so. It's somewhere between. The- and then in 2006, so six years after this all went down, Leah's car was found to have been tampered with. They had never looked under the hood after they found the car until 2006. They found that something had been, like, snipped on the inside that would allow the car to accelerate without the gas pedal being pressed. I, so that n- sounds like her crashing it intentionally. I know. Right. I don't know exactly what was done to the car. It was listed online, but I I watch a lot of Top Gear. I don't know a lot about how cars work. Yeah. Um, and also, a fingerprint was found under the hood of the car, and male DNA was found on a piece of Leah's clothing, but nothing has come of this. It just means that she brushed against somebody, or you know, had a good time the night before. It Doesn't necessarily. No, relate. that's yeah. It doesn't mean that anything happened. It just that they found it. Um, testing hasn't. Or they haven't released anything, yeah. Uh, that came of the testing. So, and even the fingerprint—I mean, she could have gotten her oil changed somewhere before, and yeah. it could have been the gas station attendant. So that's not necessarily conclusive. Mm-hmm. So I have some theories. One was she crashed, hit her head, was confused, wandered onto the road. Maybe someone picked her up. Maybe I don't. I don't know. Yeah, that's hard. It, if Maybe she, she uh, knew it was crashing and dead. Yeah. Cuz then you wouldn't see like blood or anything in the car or she just like they didn't find the kitten anywhere. Yeah, but if the you know, kitten gets scared, it's going to go. Well, yeah, but would the kitten have survived the car crash? Probably jumped too. Tuck and roll with the kitten? Yeah, maybe and then let it go because you hit your head. That's true. Um so yeah, maybe someone picked her up and she had no idea who she was or something. And maybe that... she lost the cat way before that. I yeah, don't know they... anything that happened on that trip before. That's true. Uh the convenience store clerk's tip is thought to be um. real. Yeah. She decided to, this is another theory, she decided to ditch her life completely a la Mara Murray, who's mm-hmm. another missing persons case that I refused to cover on this episode because everyone has talked about her. If you want to know what I'm talking about, there's a really good Thinking Sideways episode on her and I highly recommend it. But, you know, she just got tired with everything she was dealing with, decided to fake a car crash and get out. Um, but, I mean, her... I don't know how much cash she had on her but her ATM cards haven't been used since and she left $2500 in a pants pocket but that might have been to throw the trail off like I don't know how much cash she had on her. Yeah, I'm not really sure. That is kind of weird. I'm not really sure cuz it, it would make a lot of sense considering that the card had been tampered with in order to make it crash. Yeah. And you know, if you can you would tell if there was someone in it when it crashed like there would be
1: there yeah. would be signs.
0: If you crashed it hard enough like there would be blood somewhere. Yeah, everything points to her not being in the car when it crashed. Yeah, so maybe when she was on the trip, she decided, you know, changed her mind, decided she didn't want to come back. Maybe she really did, you know, get disoriented. Maybe, you know, it could have been mental illness or something because she was dealing with an insane amount of grief. And then getting that sort of escape, I think it sort of Allows your brain to wander in ways that, you know, sticking into like a societal box kind of keeps your brain in. Um, She had a lot going on. Like, there are a lot of factors that could have contributed to her deciding to just up and leave. Mm -hmm. I have a theory. There is absolutely nothing to back this up, but it is something that had occurred to me. So just take this little ride with me. The Green River Killer was active in Washington and parts of Oregon before that, but he wasn't caught until 2001, and Leah disappeared in 2000. They have not accounted for all of his victims. I'm just saying it might be a possibility. Could be, yeah, for um, sure. They have not found her body if he did kill her. She has a metal, like, femur thing from the car crash. Mm-hmm. So they haven't found any of that. Like, it wouldn't have decomposed. Um, If you don't know who the Green River Killer is, he was a serial killer named Gary Ridgway who was active in Washington and the upper part of Oregon, even as far down as Portland, um, during the 80s and 90s. Um, He's thought to have killed over 67 women. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, They did catch him. He has been charged with several murders and he is in prison, but they did not catch him until 2001, which is why I bring this up. But again, there is absolutely nothing backing this up other than Emily's crazy brain. All right. So that was a crash course on Leah Roberts. So again, if anyone has any information. I'm very interested in this case. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm absolutely. interested in all the cases, but this one specifically, just because... It's close to home for us. It liter- It is literally close to home. <laughs> and... Like she, there are no signs that anyone like took her or there are no signs of foul play anywhere in this case. She went across the country voluntarily, but I think it's, it's a good time to move on to Miss Joan Risch. Risch? 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 She has been missing since October 24th, 1961 out of Lincoln, Massachusetts. And she was 30 at the time that she disappeared. So most likely you guys aren't going to have any information on this one because she would be like... She was 30 in 1961. That was 55 years ago, so she would be in her 80s. She'd be very, very old now. So the odds are looking not great, but maybe. Um, You guys can decide for yourself. Stranger things have happened. Indeed. She was a housewife, and on the day of her disappearance, it had been a pretty normal day. She had done a few errands, put her son down for a nap. Around 2.30 in the afternoon, she had been standing in the driveway next to her car, looking dazed, according to her neighbors, but no one had bothered to go over and say, Hey, Miss Rish, what's wrong? Oh, it was the late 50s, early 60s. Everyone was kind of like, oh, not my business. Yeah, I guess so. And I guess they were all on like early versions of Xanax. (sighs) Living the dream. Yeah, love it. What happened next, according to neighbors, is that the daughter came home around 4 p.m., went inside, and ran back out saying that her mom was missing and the kitchen was covered in red paint, which turned out to actually be blood. So, <laughs> I don't know why your first guess would be like, "Why did she paint the kitchen red?" Well, it's a child. She was a teenager, she, or not, not a teenager, a- but she was you know, she was older. A vaguely stupid child. Yeah, yeah <laughs> it was it was optimistic. I'm gonna go with optimistic. Yeah. So, the kitchen was covered in blood. There were fingerprints on the phone and the receiver, and then also on the phone book, which had been open to the emergency phone number <sighs> section. Just painting a real good picture here. However, the fingerprint, there was like a thumbprint on the receiver, assuming she like tried to hang up and try again yeah. or something. Yeah. The thumbprint wasn't hers. Oh. So, different handprint. Covered in blood. Okay, on the phone, calling emergency and numbers. And this is before fingerprinting was a, a thing that was common. They, they could at least compare hers because her fingerprints were all over the house. Oh, clearly, and it was a different fingerprint. Okay. I mean, I don't know. It could have been. It could have been a. Fingerprint from before, and maybe the blood just like brought it out. Was like, it her husband's fingerprint? I, don't I think assume so. they cleared I, it. I assume they would have looked. Um, either way, he was in New York at the time oh, on okay. a business trip. Okay. So he was cleared of any suspicion after they interviewed him. So he was in New York on a business trip. She was home alone with her son, who I'm not actually sure how old he was, but he was Sounds like a baby. toddler. He was young, baby to toddler age. The fingerprints on the phone receiver did not belong to her, and they have never been identified, though they are still on file. And since back then they weren't doing really, you know, like, DNA testing and stuff, they don't know whose blood it was. So we don't actually know if it's her blood or someone else's blood. It kills me, like, in certain states like California, it's legally required that all felons have DNA and fingerprints taken. Mm -hmm. If we could only instate that in all of the -hmm. U.S. Yeah, then it'd be really easy to find... I might be being really optimistic with that. Like, I'm sure there's a lot of stuff that could go wrong. Yeah. But fingerprints, at least. Well, that, that's pretty standard, I think, throughout the United States. I now. I think every time you get, yeah, back in the day, not so much. The but, DNA also would have helped. Because even if it was just, like, a relative that yeah. they had on file, it would still come up as a match. Yeah, and they would have known that at least it was most likely hers. But back then they weren't really doing it. That's the thing that kills me about reading about murders in like the 1800s is they're like, man, look at this giant puddle of blood. Too bad there's no hints. Mop this up. Like, but nowadays we're like, no, that is the evidence. It's just so painful to read some of the like, I FBI. have a hunch. Yeah. The <sighs> FBI investigative cases back in the day just drive me nuts. Anyway. So, blood all over the kitchen. The only sign of a struggle was an upturned chair in the dining room. Just a single upturned chair. So, just blood and then, like, a chair. Yeah. It looked almost... Staged? Almost a little bit staged. The other thing is there was blood dripping. It led to the baby's room and then outside down the driveway and ended at the car. If only we could interview the baby. (laughs) But the blood went out to the car, but there were blood drips and no footprints, and the amount of blood that led outside indicated that it was most likely just like a surface wound, like a cut in the arm or something. She wasn't like dying. Dying. She wasn't dead. Um, So that's what's kind of interesting. It almost seems staged. There were also accounts of a car that had pulled up afterwards. So around 3.20pm, there were reports of another car behind her car in the driveway. And her daughter came home at four. So in that 40 minutes is when all this went down, oh, it, it says, seems like. It says in the notes that someone tried to clean it up. Yeah, with paper towels and, like, a pair of her son's coveralls. Like, they had tried to wipe the blood away, but didn't do a very good job at all. Well, clearly, if they could tell that someone was trying to clean it up, you didn't do a very good job <laughs> yeah. Well, the daughter ran in and ran right back out and said, there's paint all over the kitchen. <sighs> like, they didn't, they just kind of were like, eh, that's hopeless. And then yeah. gave up. But someone had tried to clean it up there was a car behind hers in the driveway. Uh, There was no report as to if anyone got in or out of it, though. No one happened to see any people in the car. But there was some mysterious car behind hers. So her car was left in the driveway. Later that day, this is where I think it gets really interesting. There were reports of a bloody woman walking dazedly along a highway, but no one bothered to stop and check on her. Oh, my God. Which drives me insane. Oh, my God. So many chances to save this woman. And no one took it. She's just walking around dazed, down the highway, covered in blood. And that was the last time. They think that that was her, and that was the last time that anyone ever saw her. So it looks like it wasn't necessarily a kidnapping at all, because she had just been seen walking on her own afterwards. Like she just had kind of an episode? It looks like it, although she had no history of mental illness. The thing, though, I mean, that can happen at any time. period. Yeah. The thing that's interesting, though, is that the summer before, uh, she had checked out over 25 books about murders and mysterious disappearances. Okay, to be fair, that can be a totally normal thing that a person does. I know, like me and you. But with a housewife that has, you know... Okay, no, that is fair. It is weird, and 25 of them is a lot. All over the course of one summer, so it seemed like she was planning something. (laughs) Although people say that she was generally a very happy woman and a very happy housewife. That's what they always say. A lot of people did say that she was very ambitious and seemed unsatisfied in her life. But instead of just getting a divorce or something and going off on her own, she may have... It looks like she may have faked her own death and not done a very good job of it. The other theory, and I think this is a little bit more likely, although it's kind of specific is that they think that she suffered amnesia. There was no attack. She simply got hurt and wandered down that highway and into a construction pit where she was unknowingly buried. That seems very specific. Like, oh, she must have fell in that hole that got filled in yesterday.
1: Why and not you dig it up?
0: Like, wouldn't you dig it up? We have the technology. God, I know. It's just this whole case drives me mad because there were so many opportunities to people intervene. people are not doing anything. Yeah, if you guys see something weird... Say something. Yeah. This chick (laughs) is... The whole thing. Yeah, exactly. It's not that hard to do. You're not going to get in trouble for being concerned. Do something. And it's not that it happened once or twice or three times. Like, there were three different occasions... More than three different occasions where people could have stepped in. Like, when she was standing outside looking really dazed... Or... When there was a weird car in the driveway. And when there was a bloody woman walking down the highway. Someone say something. And then again, when they're like, well, she probably fell into the hole there. Like, check. You check. Oh, God. Yeah. So this case is still considered open and unsolved. But... I don't know. I sort of think the amnesia thing happened and then, you know. Kind of like with the Leah Roberts thing, like yeah. she just abandoned ship. Yeah. I think it might have been, you know, or something happened. Maybe she fell and hit her head and that's what caused the amnesia. Maybe the blood was from a head wound. Those her, bleed a lot. They bleed a lot, which explains why there's a lot of blood. And they would cover her in blood it when would she make was walking. Her a woman. She could have been very confused afterwards. And then after that... They don't know necessarily what happened to her, but it could be that she fell into a construction pit. She could have wandered and someone picked her up, and then it's way she couldn't easier tell to, who she was. It's way easier to disappear in the early 60s than it is now. Yeah, it's hard. It, it takes effort now. It Yeah. it's Even with all the effort in the world, you're probably still going to get out. Even like 20 years ago, it was hard to disappear completely. but Yeah, now it's it's practically impossible. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> so that's Joan Rich. That is Joan. That's Joan for you. God. Um me Joan, Joan Joan. We are on our last our last person. I'm very excited about this one. Um it's an old case and it's it's weird. It's a weird one. Um I am talking of course about Bobby Dunbar. You know that episode of Parks and Rec when they're talking about Bobby Newport and it's just Adam Scott mm-hmm. and Jerry and everybody just sitting around? Bobby Newport. I can't say Bobby Dunbar's name in my thinking head without thinking about that. Of course. So, Bobby Dunbar was four years old. Um, he went missing August twenty third, 1912. I told you it was old. Mm-hmm. In St. Landry Parish, Louisiana near Swayze Lake where his family was on a fishing trip. Um, His family included his mother, Lassie, his father. I did not write that name down. His father doesn't come into play a whole lot in this story. And his brother, Mm Alonzo Alphonse. It was one of those names. I don't know why I didn't write his family's names down. I'm awful. (laughs) (sighs) Anyways, they were on a fishing trip in August of 1912. Bobby went missing. There's not a whole lot of information about what happened leading up to when he went missing. But he was a uh, four-year-old boy, and I assume he just... Toddled off. Mm -hmm. As they do. Keep in mind, this is in Louisiana near a lake. So search efforts were crazy Um, and included cutting open gators looking for his body. Wow. And also blowing up the lake hoping it would dislodge the body. So they were just going to... Blow dynamite into the lake and hope the body flew up in the air. Yeah, that's kind of what what they were thinking. I'm pretty sure. Not entirely sure what they thought they were going to accomplish for real. You're just going to blow the body up into bits and then you won't be able to recognize it. Because in 1912, they weren't doing DNA testing on the little bit of arm that you managed to salvage. They did find some footprints near nearby railroad tracks. Big surprise. um, And had reports come in of a strange man in the area. There are strange men in a lot of areas. Almost all areas. (laughs) Most of the areas. And what constitutes strange? What was so strange about this man? I don't know what constituted strange in 1912. It could have meant that his hair was a little too long or he was wearing a brightly colored shirt. Or smoking a marijuana cigarette. In 1912. Yeah. That's what they call I, I didn't... I don't know when weed really started. It's been a thing since, like, the Egyptians. Well, so, yeah. I mean, it's that's always fair. been a thing. I just didn't... It wasn't big. I don't that know how, m- like, the early 1900s... Well, when- that's why it would be really weird. They're like, oh, he's smoking drugs. <laughs> you know? Okay. Maybe. Um, wasn't, like, cocaine and stuff still legal in the early 1900s, though? Yeah, it was used in medicine. Yeah, so... Yeah, Coca-Cola. Uh, that's actually where Coca-Cola got its name. Mm-hmm. You the used to actually have cocaine in it. Thanks, report that I did in eighth grade. Yeah, I did one in, in-, in college. <laughs> <laughs> I had talk about it in my business class. Yeah, they used it as a, a medicine. Mm-hmm. It was like a cough syrup. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Back to Bobby Newport. Mm-hmm. Bobby Newport. No, Bobby Dunbar. Oh, f- <laughs> <laughs> Back to Bobby Dunbar. We are talking about Bobby Dunbar, not Bobby Newport. Not Paul Rudd. We're not talking... Well, now we're talking about Paul Rudd. Uh, the search for Bobby turned into an eight-month national affair until they finally found a boy who matched his description over in Mississippi. In April of 1913, um, he was in the company of one traveling piano tuner and repairman. I know. William Cantwell Walters. Walters. Who said the boy was the son of a woman who worked for his parents. She had given him the boy to travel with. What? What What was 1913? Here, take my three year old. Yeah. Go on adventures. No. What? God. This isn't Huck fan. That's not what happened in Huck Finn. I'm really good at literature. Reports about the reunion between Bobby and his parents. Bobby, in quotation marks, BT dubs. Um, Some say that he recognized his mother immediately, and others say he didn't recognize her at all. Some say that he recognized his brother immediately, and some say that he paid no attention to the other boy. Hmm. I know, newspaper reporting was super responsible in 1913. Clearly. His mother had some trouble identifying him at first. This is important. Please keep in mind that this woman had trouble identifying her son. Um, But she did eventually confirm that it was her son based on scars that he had, but that's the most solid evidence they had that this was Bobby. It wasn't helped by the fact that a woman from North Carolina named Julia Anderson came forward and not only corroborated Walter's story to a certain extent, but said that the boy was her son, Bruce. So the boy is now two boys. Yeah, he is Bobby and Bruce. She had told Walters that he could take the boy for a few days, but that she had not seen her son since February of 1912. This is the first time she's coming forward? It's been over a year. Well, she didn't know where he was. They didn't exactly have tracking on... Well, yeah, but wouldn't it have been a, a national case looking for Bruce? I mean, some traveling pianist? Well, like- no, because she knew that who he was with. Yeah, but wouldn't they be on the lookout for him if he had him for over a year when he said a couple of days? Theoretically. Jesus. I, I, she worked for his family. Maybe she's in trouble. Like worried about getting in trouble. Irresponsible. Hold your horses. I feel sorry for this woman. Okay. Even though they had Julia's testimony as well as testimony from people who had seen Walters with the boy before Bobby went missing... Uh, Julia's failure to immediately confirm the boy as her son, as well as the fact that she had children out of wedlock who had died, led people to discount her claim and convict Walters of kidnapping. Do you remember when I said that Bobby Dunbar's mother did not immediately know that that was her son? Yeah. Julia didn't immediately know that it was her son either, but apparently that made her... Huh. It was the fact that she had children out of wedlock that made her an unreliable source of identifying her own son. Yep. Wow. So, at first, I was like, why could you not recognize your own son? But then, it's 1912. She hadn't seen him in a year. They didn't have digital photos of their kids coming out their ass. Like, all two- and four-year-olds are kind of nondescript. Yeah, kind of look They're looking similar. for a little white boy. And you know, after a couple of months, like a lot happens to a kid's face in a couple of months. It es- changes fast. Especially at that age. Yeah. And it's very easy to forget faces. Yeah. Especially when you're grieving and you're thinking about it so much, you can get a really skewed vision of yeah. like, what that person looks like. So I can't really blame either of the parents for not recognizing them. I blame the law enforcement for holding a double standard in terms of Bobby's mother versus Bruce's mother. Yeah. Absolutely. So, the, uh. The Dunbars got a kid back, a kid, not necessarily the kid. Julia went back home empty-handed. Um, she went on to live an okay life. She became super Christian. Was a midwife for the town that she settled down in. William Walters served two years in prison before filing an appeal. <laughs> this is great. The county slash parish didn't feel like paying for his retrial, so they just let him go. Wow, that's justice for you. I personally think he was innocent. Well, I mean, he did take Bruce for longer than he. That's still kidnapping. Yes. But for what they tried him for, he was innocent. Mm-hmm. I think. Maybe. So Bobby went on and lived a life of a normal dude until 1966 when he died um, of old age. Well, not super old age. He would have been like 50? Um, 66. And he was born yeah. in 1908. 19... Oh, oh, so, so he wasn't. He was 60. Away he was a little, he was like in, in his late 60 50s years so yeah late 50 we're really good at math yeah sorry guys everything was kind of chill quiet until 2004 when Bobby Dunbar Jr tested his DNA against that of his cousin Bobby senior's brother's son um the DNA test showed that there was no relation between the two men so that was probably Bruce yeah oh my god so what the f*** happened there like that was It was Bruce. Like, you can argue otherwise. Wouldn't the kid have known his own name? He was three. Four. Four. Four Four-year-olds know their name. They talk your ear off. Maybe he was confused, overwhelmed. People start with B. He'd been gone for a while. Yeah, but still, I feel like he would I don't know. Bruce was three when he went missing. Oh, okay. It was... I guess I'm like 87 to 90% sure that that was Bruce. Oh. So Julia lost child... Jeez. Um, Bobby probably got taken by a stranger. They just never caught him. Or, or what I think is the most likely, he got eaten by a gator. Yeah. Because they did not find every gator in that lake and cut no. it open. Nor did they get every gator when they blew the lake up. Yeah. I think that's like a gator's favorite snack. Yeah, small children. How many children? Like if There was just one in Florida who got attacked yeah. or killed by a gator. Like at Disney World, right? Yes. And people are blaming Disney World for it. It's like, have you tried controlling a gator? Yeah, at the same time, why the hell are there gators in Disney World? I don't know. I think they need to do better gator control on keeping the gators out of Disney World. They probably do now, but they also have, like, a wild snake. Because, like, Florida is insane. Well, I know, but I feel like, you know, a couple fences, you can probably keep a gator out. It's like America's Australia. Jesus. Just running around, eating people, being scary as crap. Jesus. Yeah, it's it's nuts. There is a small possibility with the Bobby case. Could have been a DNA anomaly. Could have been. Doubt it. Yeah. Very seriously doubt no, it. No, not after all of that they went through. The odds are the odds are so, one, small. so small. So small to begin with. with. And then after all of that, that they went through, the evidence would definitely point to it. they have, you know, gotten the wrong kid. Yeah. And if it was Bobby, what the f happened to Bruce? He was with the man that and his mother said that he was with. him with Bobby. Exactly. I don't understand why they took the kid and said, should we give this kid to the woman who said that she gave the kid to this man? Or should we give it to this completely other woman in another state? Um, well, the completely other woman in another state was considered a more credible source because she didn't have children out of wedlock. That is awful. So this is more, this is, yes, a disappearance case, but it was also a case of... The f***ing patriarchy. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good note to end on. So I hope we've given you something to think about, or maybe we've given you entirely too much to think about. Either way, feel free to tell us about it on Twitter. We are at Afternoonified. We are also on Instagram at Afternoonified and Facebook at Facebook.com GetAfternoonified. And if you want to see, see, listen to. <laughs> or see. You can visualize them. We have pictures. Um, if you want to see past episodes, send us an email, make a Donation. Uh, you can check out our website, com, And if you've made a donation in the past and are wondering where the hell your postcard is, we feel you and we are working on it. We promise. As always, we would appreciate ratings and reviews. They yes. get us a little bit, you know, higher up in those iTunes searches. Yes. So. We are on iTunes. We are on Google Play. We are on Stitcher. We are everywhere that you could possibly imagine listening to a podcast. Yes. So find us. Leave us a review. Leave, leave us a rating. Maybe a donation if you're feeling like, so. Yeah. And we'll see you guys next time. Yeah. Bye. Bye.